prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, and Lord, as we spend some time now uh, getting back into this series on navigating change, Father, I pray that you would bring us to that place, Lord, of rest in you, knowing that you are going to bring us to where you would have us. You're going to bring us to that place, Lord Jesus, of, of, of security, that place of, of peace and rest in you. And Jesus, as we, as we talk about um, what that looks like sometimes and how you take us there, Jesus, shape us uh, and, and bring us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, last time I spoke with you, uh, it was the beginning of January, and we were talking about navigating change. And so today we're going to be doing our, our second part of this series about how, how to navigate change, how to move through transitions and seasons in life. We all go through them. In fact, every one of us here today are either at the beginning, the middle, or maybe the end of a season in your life, a transition. And for me, um, I don't know, it was probably 18 years ago, I was in my, my first ministry position, my wife and I, and we had been about four years into this, and I had lost sight of the, the vision the Lord had given me for our ministry. And on the outside, our ministry looked really good and healthy. This youth ministry was, was doing really well. In fact, on a Sunday morning, it, it wasn't unusual that we would have more people in the youth ministry than were in the main service. It looked really good, but I had lost sight of where we were heading. And I got discouraged, and I got depressed, and I had a picture in my head of, of I had been climbing up the mountain of the Lord, and I was going to plant my flag on the top, and we were going to be successful at winning the lost. And all of a sudden, the fog set in, and I find myself just sitting on a rock, thinking, I have no idea where I'm going. I don't, I don't know what's up. I don't know what's left. I don't know what's right. And I was absolutely wreaking havoc on my family because I would complain constantly. I was, I was probably really, really hard to live with at the time. And the, the thing is that every single one of us go through this fog at one point or another where we wonder, where am I going? Where's my life headed? And we want to talk about how to successfully navigate through these, through these fogs, through these seasons, um, how to develop the habits and the routines necessary to thrive in these seasons. We, we've, we've all heard the, the, the story about when, when we move on to be with the Lord, that he would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, right? We want to hear that as we navigate through change as well, that we would go through a season and the Lord would be able to speak to our hearts, well done, well done, we're through it. Now we're going to move on to the next thing, Right? So uh, I, I want to pause for just a minute and also say, for those of you who are going through a season right now, these seasons can look like, for the number of people that are here, the exact same number of, of different situations. For some, it could be wrestling through a disability. It could, be, it could be a job change. It could be moving your kids to another school, relocating your family, a death in the family. I mean, there is any number of things that can bring us to a place of change and transition in our lives. And I want to pause for a minute and just tell you, God loves you, and he's going to walk through that with you. And when you feel alone and you feel like that fog is socked in and you feel like you don't know which direction to go, I want you to know that God loves you, and he's going to be faithful to lead you, right? And, and, and that psalm we read earlier, Psalm, psalm uh, 34, I think that it was, um, the righteous, God is going to see you through all of it, all right? And that's you today, okay? Can you believe that? Amen. All right, Amen. All right, so we've been looking at uh, Israel's transition uh, and their change from, from slavery to freedom, from being just a family 
to meeting God and then transitioning into becoming a nation that would possess a land of promise is what, is what God told them, tells us in, in, in the Bible. This is a journey that took them over 40 years. But if they would have been listening to the things that the Lord had, had, was telling them and the, the change he was developing in them, it was a, a transition that should have taken about 13 months. About 13 months. See, I think when we think of, of, of change, we think of destination, right? When I think of change, when I think of where I want to be, I think of a place, right? For somebody who, who's, who has a disability, I think of healing. That's where I want to be. When, I, when my job isn't going right, I think of the destination, a new job. When my heart's broken, the destination is, is my heart being in a, in a safe place, Right? We think of destination, but here's the thing. God thinks a little bit differently than we do when it comes to navigating change and moving to destination. Um, the way God views things is who we are will determine where we go. He knows that who we are will determine where we go. Our character will determine whether or not the destination for us is sustainable whether or not we can move to that place and actually thrive there or not. Because how many of you know that I can take my broken self and put it in a better situation, and that broken self will find a way of breaking everything that's in the better situation, right? We hear people often that move to a new place thinking, I just I need to get to a different, different setting, and then things will be better for me. But the problem is we always take our broken self to the next to the next place, right? And the Lord has something better for us. He wants to bring us to a place of character and integrity so that when we take that to the next place, we can thrive. Do you ever feel like getting to your promised land is like trying to fit a square block in a round hole? Ever feel that way? Like you know where you want to be and you feel like it's impossible to get there? Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says this, To this end, we always pray for you. This is Paul writing to the, to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, We always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is, this is an awesome verse because this speaks so much to, to we're at the beginning of the year and, and some of us have New Year's resolutions that we're, we're still trying to work through. And at this point in, in the year, we get to the point where with New Year's resolutions and with moving to a destination and change, that it can feel like rolling a snowball uphill, can't it? I mean, the, the more you push, the bigger it gets and the heavier it gets, and pretty soon it starts to dig in and you don't go anywhere. And this verse really speaks to it. So check this out. I'm going to read through it one more time. To this end, I, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, not your calling, his calling. His calling is to salvation. This speaks of the redemptive process that happens when we give our lives to Jesus and he begins to renew us and change us from the inside out. And then he goes on and he says that he may fulfill every resolve. There's that word resolve. It's like resolution, right? That he may fulfill every resolve or resolution for good and every work of faith by his power. 
right? This tells us right here that when, when we look at this, the things that are good are a destination. The things, that are, the things that are a work of faith are a destination. But he talks about something before that Paul does, that he would make you worthy of his calling. That's renewing. And what Paul is saying here inadvertently is that us getting to the destination always begins with Christ renewing something in us and changing something in us. So that way, the, the destination won't seem like rolling a big snowball uphill. It'll seem like rolling a big one downhill, and all we got to do is help steer a little bit. He does the heavy lifting. Don't we want that? Right? We want him to do the heavy lifting in, in, in these pursuits. And so we have to line ourselves up with God's plan for change. And it begins by allowing him to work that process of change in our character and our nature. See, he's changing your shape. We talked about the analogy of a square peg in a round hole, and no matter how, how hard you push it, how hard you hit it, it ain't going to fit, right? He's going to change your shape so that you will naturally fit where you belong. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, he's naturally changing you by the, by the redemptive process that he's doing in you so that you fit right where, he has, right where he has for you to be. And so let's do a quick recap on some things we talked about in, uh, in January. Uh, point one that we made was we have to begin with the right perspective. We're all about the destination and, and getting comfortable and getting back to that routine and things being just so. God is more concerned about our transformation than he is about our destination. You'll end up there. And it's going to be through the process of, uh, process of him changing and shaping us so that we can stay there and we can thrive there. Number two, uh, the Israelites were led by a pillar of cloud by day and that of fire by night. The Israelites, when, when they, they learned to watch God all the time because when that pillar would move, they would move. And when the pillar would rest, they would rest. And when it moved, they'd move. And when you'd rest, they would rest, right? They learned to always be watching God for when he would move and learned to, learned to rest when he rested. And point number three we made was restlessness is not evidence of God moving. Restlessness is not evidence of God moving. In fact, it's usually evidence we're going to do something stupid, <laughs> Right? When we start getting restless, what's the first thing we do? We start coming up with all sorts of ideas and all sorts of things that we think is going to make us get progress, right? I, I love uh, Psalm 91. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the shadow of the Most High will find rest in the Almighty, right? There's, he, he talks about finding rest in the secret place. Jesus said when we pray to go to our closet or our, our private room, this, this secret place where we can go and meet with God. It's in the intimacy that we have with God in those devotional times where we learn to find rest during seasons uh, where we're unrestful. In fact, if you do a study, there's a, a, as you're studying scripture, you find that if you go back to the first usage of a particular word, you'll find something attached prophetically to another part. And if we go back to, to this whole idea of being in a secret place, it talks about the first uses is, is in Genesis, and we see somebody who is secretly plotting to kill somebody else because they're not spending that time in the secret place with God, they're spending that time of secret in a restless place and coming up with ways to solve the problem on their own. And, and that happens to us when we start trying to solve the problem on our own, it causes problems. And God invites us 
to come and to be with him in that restful place so that we can get his plan, right? So that we can go through the doors that he opens. All right, so with that, we left off last week uh, with the Israelites en route from Mount Sinai to the wilderness of Param, which should have been a three-day journey. Param was the staging area for where the Israelites would enter into his promised land, right? Where they would go and dispossess the, the other nations that, that God decided we're, we're finished here and we're, we're going to move you out and we're going to move Israel in as a nation, right? This is supposed to be a three-day journey. It took 11. And so we're going to look at some of the things that caused this to take as long as it did. So we're going to start off in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. And as we're going through this, um, in between some of the, the passages that I read, there are some miraculous things that happen. And so I want to encourage you this week to get your Bible out, read uh, Numbers chapter 11 and chapter 12, and see some of the things that God did. It'll blow your socks off. Uh, we're not going to read all of them because we just are limited for time, but uh, there's some fantastic stuff. All right, Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of camp. And then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses had prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Taberah means to burn or to consume. The thing I love about this passage is that we're not left wondering what God thinks about complaining. I mean, these people had, had no question as to whether or not complaining was okay, right? I mean, these guys had people dropping off because of the fire of God burning on the outskirts of camp. That's, that's pretty serious. Complaining is faithlessness. Complaining is faithlessness. It's, in fact, I would go as far as to say complaining against the Lord, which is what we see here, is blasphemy. It's absolute blasphemy. It's saying, God, you can't do it. It's going to other people and saying, God doesn't have what it takes. I'm going to have to take care of this on my own because God just can't do it. Complaining is faithlessness, and nothing throws water on the fire of your miracle like complaining. I read a, a, an article about a week ago about a woman who, who went on a 21-day no-complaining, call it a fast, right? She said for 21 days, she wasn't going to complain, and so she tied a little band around her wrist to remind her, and it, she said it took her about 21 days to get in the habit of not complaining for 21 days, and, but she said it completely revolutionized her relationships. She said it completely changed her life after she got in a habit of not complaining for, for 21 days. I thought it was kind of funny that she tied this thing around her, her arm because God had told the Israelites to do that way back here, right, with tefillin. They would, they would put a thing around the, their arm and, and with Scripture in it to remind them of, of, of serving the Lord and about His promises. And um, Anyway, so, yeah, so she, she did this thing, and, and it totally, totally rocked her world. Um, I did a search. I, I thought, I'm going to put a Scripture in here about, about complaining. Right? And so I, I got on my computer, I did a search. In fact, you can do this at home, right? Uh, in fact, today, maybe this week, go home, get on your computer, and type in, what does the Bible say about complaining? Please don't do it here. Your phone will blow up and injure somebody beside you. 
there is an unlimited number of scriptures that talk about complaining, right? The Bible has a lot to say about it, but I'll sum it up for you. It's faithlessness, and God wants us to trust in him. Here's a better search for you, praise, right? Go home and search what, the, what does the Bible say about, about, about praise. See, the thing that the Lord wanted to teach the Israelites in this time is that we, we have to exchange complaining with praise. See, praise puts our attention off of us. It takes our attention off of our problem, and it puts it on God. When we praise Him, it takes our attention and our focus off of the stuff that's holding us up, and it puts our attention on the one who can lead us through the dark, the one who can lead us through the fog. The other thing that praise does is it invites His presence It invites the presence of God into your circumstances when we begin to praise Him. And third, praise always precedes victory. Praise always precedes victory. In fact, if you go to the next book in the Bible, Joshua, we see the first battle they come up to is the battle of Jericho. And God tells them, listen, I want you to put the worshipers out front. We're going to march around the city for uh, seven times, and the, and the city's going to, the walls are going to come down. But listen, I want all of you guys to shut up. Don't talk. Why? Because they'd complain, right? God, this, uh, hey man, this whole, this whole, Joshua said God told us we're supposed to march around this place, this fortified wall. We're supposed to march around it blowing trumpets. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. There's no way this is going to work. I mean, today we'd be like, physiologically, there's no way that a wall that's that size and those dimensions could actually fall over from the weight of our bodies walking around this so many times. We'd need 15.3 billion people instead of just 1.5 million, right? We'd come up with all sorts of reasons why this wouldn't work. And so God told him, hey, Joshua, tell him, zip it. You praise, send the worshipers out front, do as I say, I'll take care of it. I promise you, the battle wasn't won by Joshua and the Israelites. The battle was won by Jesus. Absolutely. In, in, in fact, uh, Jesus shows up to Joshua, and Joshua was like, hey, man, you for us or against us? And, and Jesus said, neither, <laughs> right? I'm God. So, so we know who won the battle, and God used praise, right? And so the, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to come to a place of praising God when things don't look the way they think that they should look. We've got to become people of praise and get our attention off of ourselves and, and put it onto Jesus. So Moses has this conversation with God, which is, which is kind of interesting. And he says, uh, it's funny how uh, complaining can be contagious. Verse 12, he says, Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat for all these people? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you're going to treat me like this, Please kill me here and now. If I find favor in your sight and don't let me see my wretchedness. See, 
Moses recognized he was complaining to God, the very same thing these guys were doing. And he says, just kill me here and now because I'm doing the same stinking thing. It's contagious. But there's something different that's going on. Why doesn't God just wipe Moses out? It wasn't because he needed him. It was because Moses was acting in faith. God's not afraid of you going to him and complaining. Right? In fact, the book of Job is all about it. I love the book of Job. We get to the end, end of the book of Job, and Job is crying out to God, and he's complaining, and he's telling God, God, I, don't, I just don't deserve all this stuff. Why is all this bad stuff happening to me? Right? And I, I get this absolute picture in my head of, of Job standing in the kitchen with God throwing dishes at him. <laughs> oh, God, I just don't get this. I'm angry. Right? God is not afraid of you throwing dishes at him. In fact, when we go to God in faith and we share with him, God, I'm angry, God, I'm broken, God, I'm hurting, God, I don't understand my circumstances, it's called faith, right? It's called faith. When we go to God, the Bible says that, that we go to him, if anyone wants to, wants to know God, we, we have to go to him believing in faith that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, right? We, we go to him and we talk to him because we believe he's there. Right? When we don't believe, we go to each other. It's in faith that we go to Him. And He he may correct us. He may correct us. He corrected Moses. He corrected Job. But you know what He didn't do? Leave them. You know what He didn't do? Forsake them. He loved them through it. And He led them through it. So he, uh, he, he answers Moses. Moses says, man, I cannot do this on my own. And uh, God answers him and he says, I want you to get 70 leaders. You're right, Mo. You can't do this. Get 70 leaders and I'm going to put the same anointing on them as, as uh, I have on you. All right, so let's read this, Numbers chapter 11. It says, so Moses went out and he told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and he placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and he spoke to him and he took of the spirit that was on him and he placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did again. Catch that part, file it away for just a minute. We're going to talk about it. So here's, here's what's going on. God tells Moses, get 70 people, 70 elders of the tribes of Israel and I'm going to anoint them. 12 tribes, right? Moses goes to the elders. They're going to want to be represented equally, right? They don't want one tribe having more say than another tribe. Well, they, they all appointed six people. There's a problem. 12 times six is 72. So God says, get 70. There are two people that are going to have to choose in faith to sit it out. How in the world is that going to happen? Two people have to decide, I'm going to take my hands off of this, and I'm going to believe that when God says 70, he means 70, and we're going to wait this one out. Okay, so here's what happens. Verse 26, it says, but two men had remained in the camp. Remember, the tabernacle is outside the camp. And these 70 people, along with Moses, probably Aaron, and maybe Miriam, went out. But these two stay back. It says, but, but two men had remained in the camp. Their names was Eldad, and the other was Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. 
Now they were among those who were listed, right? They were one of the one of the 72 elders that had gotten picked, right? But they they chose to stay back. And it says they prophesied in the camp. Here's an interesting picture when you when you dig into this a little bit that I find to, to be really fascinating. Eldad means God intimately loves me. Medad means I love in return. In the Old Testament, when God would anoint somebody for ministry, he would set his spirit on them. They would go out and they'd accomplish the mission, and then he'd remove his spirit from them. Place it on, accomplish the mission, remove it. In the New Testament church, the ecclesia, you, he sets his spirit within you, and he never takes it. What do we see here? Right? The, those who are out at the tabernacle, he, he sets a spirit on them. They never prophesy again. For those who acted in faith, and we see in, in the definition of their names that God intimately loves and we intimately love in return, he sets a spirit and he doesn't take it back. It's a picture of the church. It's amazing. I love it. It's, it's, it's a fingerprint of the hand of God who, who wrote and inspired these books as one book. And he, point, he paints a picture of the way things would be. And what's really cool is what Moses said down here at the end. We're going to get to it in just a second. But it says, it says in verse 28, So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Forbid them. And then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon all of them. See, Moses knew the heart of God, that God wanted to set his spirit, and he wanted to leave it, and he wanted everybody to prophesy, right? Moses had a sense in his heart about this. Joshua was experiencing something a little bit different, right? Here's the thing. They had to take a pause for a minute during this trip because Joshua eventually would become the leader of these people, and he had a valuable lesson that the Lord wanted to teach him. The lesson was that we can either have control or we can have a move of God, but we can't have both. We can have control or we can have a move of God, but we can't have both. In our families, in our circumstances, when things get rough, our natural response is to grasp for control. How can I maintain a sense of normal? by getting everything that I can, get my arms wrapped around it as tight as I can. And Joshua's saying, saying, look, man, these people are prophesying and they're outside of these 70. Man, we got to control that. And Moses says, no, 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 no. It would be awesome if God were in control of all of it. And he is. Joshua, you got to learn this because one day you're going to be leading it. And you're not going to lead it in control you're going to lead it in surrender, right? We can have control or we can have a move of God in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our circumstances, in our situations, right? We have to come to the place where we say, God, I'm letting go of this and I'm giving it to you. I'm surrendering it to you, Lord. I don't understand what's going on right now. And, and if I feel like I, I take my hands off of this for a minute, it's going to unravel. But God, I'm going to give it to you. And for some of us, that means waking up every morning and praying something just like that over and over throughout your day. God, I'm giving this to you. God, I'm getting my hands on it again. I'm stopping and I'm giving it to you. 
I'm letting go. And it doesn't come through wishful thinking, it comes through prayer. We surrender to God by prayer, right? Lord, I'm giving this to you. And we say it out loud with our mouths, right? And we declare it, God, I'm taking my hands off. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. It's a promise. God will direct your steps when you take your hands off of it and say, Lord, I'm giving it over to you. So the thing is, you guys know what a, know what a, 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 a cattle rancher is, right? A cattle rancher, they get out there and they drive the cattle. They get the whip out and the horses and they start pushing those cattle where they want them. And the thing is, when we remain in control, we start to do that with our families. And we start to do that with the people around us. We start trying to push them in the direction that we think that they should go. And what the Lord would have for us, and the same thing he had for Joshua, is that we would become surrendered to the Lord. And as the Lord would lead us, and in our devotional time we develop the character and the nature that God is instilling in us, then our families and the people we lead will begin to follow a shepherd instead of being driven by a a, a cattle rancher. Right? We don't want to drive people. We'll never drive people into the presence of God. We will never drive people into God's best. We will lead them as the Lord leads us. Right? That's what the Lord has for you and has for your families. All right. So uh, now we come to this really strange passage. Um, This one is, is an interesting one to me. And it says, it's Numbers chapter 12. And it says this. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman who he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. It says it right here. I mean, it's funny because it says it twice, right? Like the, the, the scribe who's writing this for Moses makes this extra point, right? Let me read it again. They got, they're talking about Moses because he married an Ethiopian For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. There's an, this is in here, in here, and it's interesting because there's a, there's a contrast that's happening that he's pointing out. And so all of a sudden it says in verse 4, Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. When you were young, you ever do something you knew you weren't supposed to do, and your parents come in and say, hey, you three, come here. Bedroom. Go get a switch off the monkey tree. That's what a monkey tree is, right? Yeah, it's one of those. When I, when I was young, um, we have a lot of family that, that lives in Oklahoma, and my grandpa had a, had a farm, um, some property, and had some pigs way at the back of the back of the, the property. And we were always told, "Do not mess with the pigs. Stay away from them, because if you get in there and, and you get hurt in this this pig pen, I mean, these are hundred and more pound pigs, great big ones, and if you get cut, they will they will kill you." Uh, you know, they 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 smell fear, you know, that kind of thing. And and we were like, "Yeah, whatever." And so me and my cousins and, and my, probably my brother, uh, one day uh, we were out playing around and we stopped by the, by the pig pen and we were like, 
what's the deal, man? They're just pigs. And we're playing around, and I think it was my cousin or somebody that had fallen in, and all these pigs were like swarmed him. And we were like, oh no, and we, we got him out of there super quick, and, and everything was fine, and we didn't think anything more of it until we got home. And, 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 and the moms and the aunts were like, hey, you guys, where were you? Yeah, you're just out goofing around. Yeah, with the pigs. Come here. Monkey tree. Right? It was, it was one of those. It was, it was like we were in danger. I mean, this is, this is a serious thing. And God calls these guys out and he says, hey, there's something really serious going on that we need to, need to have a conversation about. So there's two things happening here that I want to talk about. Number one, number one, uh, Moses marries an Ethiopian woman. Wasn't Moses already married? I mean, for those who have seen the Ten Commandment Charlton Heston narrative, I mean, we all know Moses is married, man. Is God telling him he can get married and have a second wife? I don't believe so. The Bible says all throughout Scripture that God's intent for marriage is one man and one woman. And this guy has an intimate relationship with God. He talks to God. Nothing gets by God, right? He didn't just go sneak off and get married, I mean, this is, this is, there's something going on here. And so we see, we have to move to uh, uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 25. There, there's a, an interesting little, little piece here that's important to kind of fill in the gaps. Um, Moses is, is with his father-in-law and his wife, and they have a son, and they're getting ready to leave to go to Egypt to say to Pharaoh, release my people. They hadn't gotten there yet. And on their way... Zipporah, his wife, gets this sense that God's coming to kill Moses. And so in this, in this passage, we see her take a knife, circumcise her son, take this piece of flesh and throw it at Moses and say to him, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. The thing to remember is that Moses and, and Zipporah were from different religious backgrounds. Moses had all these experiences with God, the burning bush, the conversations. Zipporah didn't. There was probably a conversation that, that went something like, like this. Moses, you are telling me that we're supposed to go lead all these people out of Egypt. And God told you this at a bush that was burning that not, was not consumed. Okay, I can buy that. But at the point where you want to take a knife to my son's privates, that crosses the line. No. I'll go with you, but we're not doing that. But here's the thing. As a Jewish person, it was required by law that all men and, and boys be circumcised, right? As, as to show the world that, that we are God's people. Makes sense then. Doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense to us, to us now, but it made sense to them. And, and the thing is that God had been grooming Moses to be the leader of these people. He couldn't be a hypocrite. God would not allow a hypocrite to lead his, his people into the wilderness, into his presence, right? And so probably several conversations went on about this between Moses and his wife. And there came a point where she recognized God is doing something and we're moving and God's not going to tolerate this. And she says, so this event takes place and this happens. And she says this statement to him that is equivalent to saying, you are dead to me. I'm through. 
And the next thing we see is she goes back to her dad. And that's the last we see of her in this relationship. We see Moses talking to the father-in-law again, but then nobody in that family goes with Moses any further. So there's something that takes place here. I believe that, and you can study this out for yourself, I believe she says, I'm done. We've crossed the line. And so God allows Moses to remarry. So, so that's one thing. So, so God apparently had given Moses permission to marry this Ethiopian woman. But here's this other thing that's going on. Moses is marrying an Ethiopian woman, and they're freaking out about it. For, for centuries, it was believed that Ethiopians were a slave race. And they believed in commentary for hundreds of years that, that Moses was marrying, that he, he was marrying down. He's marrying below his status, and so they were upset. But the narrative that the Bible paints is completely the opposite. When you read through Scripture, you see that the Ethiopians were a race of warriors, an absolute race of, of awesome people that were total warriors. And so what's happening here? He's not marrying below his pay grade. He's marrying above it. He's marrying Xena, the warrior princess. <laughs> and they're ticked about it. They're saying to themselves, who's this guy think he is? That's why, that's why the, the, the writer, the scribe says, Moses is the most humble guy around. Why would he be doing something that's not, not humble? Marrying above his status, thinking he's better than everybody, would be the contrast, right? That he thinks he's better than everybody because he's marrying this, this person who's absolutely amazing. And Moses, well, we know him. He's just, you know, kind of Moses, right? So what's going on here is that is that they're complaining against Moses because they think he's, he's doing something that is just kind of outside his, his, his stature. So what happens here, so we've, we've talked about a couple of different things today that, are, that are, um, have caused the Israelites to not be in a timely fashion moving out of the, the transition and into God's best for them. We talked about the need for praise Right? We talked about a need to take our attention off of our stuff and put it onto God. Right? We talked about, we talked about um, a need to let go of control in exchange for a move of God. And then we talk about the situation with, uh, with Miriam and Aaron and what happens when they go to the tabernacle. Uh, Miriam uh, has an experience that because apparently she started this whole, this whole debacle and she gets time out. Yeah, she gets sent outside the camp for seven days. And God says, after seven days, bring her back in. But she's got a time out. Here's the thing, though. Pride and arrogance can cause us at times in our life to be isolated from people. Right? To be isolated from the, the, the people that God wants us to be with. When we get to that place where our attention is so focused on ourselves, that, that pride can cause us to say, you know what? How come they have it better than me? How come I don't have, have it as good as they do? How come they get this and how come I don't? Right? Sin, uh, the, the, the root of sin is pride. In fact, it's funny, that, kind of ironic, that the, the, the middle letter in sin and the middle letter in pride is what? It's I, it's me. It's the focus on me and, and, and my stuff. And what do I get? And what do I need? And, and we get our attention so far on ourselves, and I deserve better, and why do they have it so easy? Here's the thing that, that Scripture tells us, all right? 
Number one, it tells us we don't deserve anything. We are sinful, broken people who, who have walked away from God. As, a, as, a, as, a, as a, a people have said, God, I don't want you. I want my own stuff. I want to be the king of my kingdom and I don't need you. We don't deserve a thing. But the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Every good thing that we have was a gift to us from God. And here's the thing. Everything that we don't have, everything that we wish was different, is an opportunity to ask the Lord for better. And we have a God who loves us and wants to be available to hear our requests. And He is available. Every good thing is a gift. Everything that we don't think is good is an opportunity. Right? It's an opportunity. God extends an opportunity for you to say, Lord, this is, this is my need. Lord, this is my desire. And God answers our prayers and he loves to give good gifts to his kids. And he loves to change our circumstances and our situations as we invite him in and say, Lord, come and change this. Lord, make this match what, would look, what it would look like in your kingdom. Lord, take what's in your kingdom and make it reflect my life. Because that's what God wants to do. He wants to change our stuff and our circumstances to reflect the glory of, of, of his kingdom in your life. It's a good thing, right? Really, it comes down to thankfulness, right? The antidote to pride is thankfulness. It's coming to a place where we can say, Lord, thank you for what I have. Lord, thank you for where I'm at. I'm at. Lord, thank you for my family. Lord, thank you for my job. Thank you for, for all the work that you're doing in me through this process of change and transformation and, and transition. It's calling on the Lord with a thankful heart. And you will be amazed at, at the, the doors that open when the person knocking is knocking with, with thankfulness. So here's the thing that, to recognize. These things that we just talked about did not disqualify the Israelites from entering into their promise. Didn't disqualify them. But it did take a three-day journey and turn it into an 11-day journey. It, right? it increased the length of time 73% for them getting to where they needed to be. And the solution is, is, is really, for us, is to recognize Lord, I need these things. Lord, I need to be a person of praise. Lord, I need to be a person who gives up control. And I need to be a, th a person with a thankful heart. Right? I need to be a person who goes to you with in, in thankfulness. So in any transition or season, we need to remember, uh, we have to think transition, square peg, right? We need to be thinking about who we are, not where we're headed. We need to be thinking about God changing our shape to fit where he would have us be. And so as, as I personally am going through transitions also, going through, going through different seasons in life, there's, there's three questions that I'm learning to prayerfully ask myself. These are the questions. You ready? What do I need? What needs to grow and what needs to go? Right? What do I need? What needs to grow and what needs to go. And remember, we're not thinking about where we want to be. We're thinking about who we should be. Right? These are character things. In my character, what do I need to move to that place? What needs to change in me? Right? Maybe it's my faith. Maybe it's vision. Maybe it's um, 
new relationships, a new perspective. Maybe it's taking a new step, a new action, developing a new habit, right? Something that is an aspect of my character, right? Practicing a small change daily over time will produce a big result, right? Practicing a small change daily over time will produce a big result. Success isn't one big decision, it's, it's hundreds of consistent little decisions made every single day. Uh, Craig Rochelle has a quote I love of this. It says, Discipline is the bridge between who you are and who you want to be. Choose your pain, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Right? This is pretty good. We have to, we have to choose the habits daily. What do I need? And make changes to my habits daily. Right? What do I need to have grow what do I already possess that needs to be developed? Maybe something I don't recognize. What do I already have that needs to grow? Maybe, maybe I have relationships. Maybe I need to develop some better relationships or some different relationships. Uh, maybe before I started entering into the season, I was a pretty encouraging person, and all of a sudden I've become a cynic, Right? And I need to just get back to being an encouraging person. And I need to get back to allowing my character to change. And then lastly, what needs to go? What beliefs do we have about ourselves, about God, about the people around us that are an absolute lie from hell and wrecking your life? They need to go, right? What needs to go? So I'm going to tell you today the first thing, the first answer to this question, what do I need, what needs to grow, what needs to go, for, for every single one of us here, the thing that we all need to begin with, every single one of us is a relationship with Jesus. The first thing that we should have established in any, in, in any transition, the thing that's going to move us beyond where we're at, allow us to be changed from the inside out, not just move to a new place where we can wreak havoc there also is a change of heart that comes only through Jesus. And so I want to tell you today, if, if this sounds like good stuff to you, I want to encourage you, the first place you need to start is that relationship with God. The Bible tells us that His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you. No matter where you're at, no matter what circumstance you're going through, no matter what season you're trying to, 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 to move through, I want to tell you today that the promise of God stands and it stands solid that if we are the righteous, if we're submitted and surrendered to him, he'll take care of you. He'll work it out. And so today, if that's you, I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus. And that simply comes by saying, Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? I'm not perfect. There's nothing I can do in and of myself to be saved. Lord, I need you. So I'll tell you what, can we just close our eyes for a minute? And, and I just want to give you guys some time. If that's you today and you want to say yes to Jesus, would you just quietly talk to him? This, this may be the first time you've ever prayed and said, Lord, I want to respond to you today. Lord, I want to respond to you today. Lord, I've, you've been calling my heart for years now gently whispering come to me turn it over to me give over control to me don't you think today is the day 
when it's time to stop fighting with the Lord and say, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I just give up control to you today. Would you take my heart? Would you cleanse me? Would you make me new? And Lord, today I'm going to give up beliefs about myself, about others, and about you that have just been dangerous, have been, have been toxic. Lord, I surrender those to you today. Lord, beliefs that, that, that I can somehow do this on my own, the belief that I've got to be in control, the belief that you're not good enough. Lord, I surrender these to you today. And Lord, as I'm navigating change, Lord, would you shape me and change me? Because Lord, today I recognize that the person I am will determine the place that I land. Lord, bring me into your promise. Bring me into your best. Lord, your word declares that for those who are in you, that you will lead us down the best pathway of our lives. And at some point, Lord, we want to be able to stand in a place where we can look back and say, yeah, wow, I can't believe I've gone through all this to make it to where I am today. And it only comes through Jesus. So Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, as, um, as we go out of here, Lord Jesus, would you bless and minister to every single person here, Lord God, who are beginning, in the middle of, or at the end of a transition or a season or change. Lord, encourage them this week, comfort them, urge them, and strengthen them in the name of Jesus through your word. Lord, bring us to the place of praise in the middle of our circumstances that our attention would be on you. Lord, you are the victor in this. And we declare your victory even before, that it, even before it takes place. Lord, so that the walls around us will fall in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we give up control. And Lord, we come to you with thankful hearts, believing that you have better in store. In Jesus' name. Everybody who wants that said amen.